probably going to be breaking down UFC 236 this Saturday, April 14th, which is taking place. And it is headlined by Max Holloway, the featherweight champ. Might be the greatest featherweight of all time. Stepping up to the next division up, the lightweight division, to fight for the interim title against Dustin Poirier. This interim title is is being put up because Khabib, after he choked out Connor, jumped over the fence and uh, had a little incident. And so he's not going to be available to fight until the fall, until he finishes his suspension. But in the meantime, we have a meaningless belt being put up on the line. And if you can get beyond that, Holloway Poirier 2 should be a fantastic fight. And if one interim title wasn't enough for you, we have a second one in the co-main event in the middleweight division while the champion Robert Whitaker recovers from his abdominal injury. We have Calvin Gastelum and Israel Adesanya who are going to fight for the 185 interim title. That's another one. It's going to be a great fight. Most of this card is very, very good. But we'll get into that. We'll be breaking it down. We're going to find we, we, there's some value on this card, uh, betting-wise, that it's frankly amazing to me. There's some opportunity to make some coin here. So we'll get to the breakdown in a minute. But first, let's go over some recent happenings in the fight world. Uh, the biggest news right now is TJ Dillashaw. Uh, getting dinged by USADA, he got a two-year suspension for EPO use. Now, EPO, from my understanding, what little I've read about it, it increases your red blood cell count, which would therefore increase the oxygen that your body, that's transported throughout the body. And it's naturally made in the kidneys, but when you have elevated levels like this, it's... It's it's injectable only. It's it's a blatant it's a blatant cheat. It's a cheat. Blatant cheat. Uh the golden snitch, Jeff Nowitzki, this is a quote from him. He said he it's a very effective substance. It's not a substance you find in contaminated supplements. It's injectable only. You have to know what you're doing when it enters your system. On a scale of seriousness and anti doping, it's up near the top. So on the heels of being knocked out by the 125-pound champion, Henry Cejudo, now TJ Dillashaw is facing a two-year suspension. We're not going to see him. He relinquished his 135-pound title, so that's going to be up for grabs. It's really unfortunate because TJ, TJ was a great fighter to watch. What's even more ironic about this is Cody Gabrant called this when TJ Dillashaw was at Team Alpha Male. Cody Gabrin claims that TJ was teaching the members of Team Alpha Male how to use performance enhancers. Now TJ gets dinged, he gets a two-year suspension, might effectively end his career, which is unfortunate. But uh, everyone says this is a pretty severe, a blatant disregard of the rules. So it is what it is. TJ didn't fight it. He's not appealing anything. He voluntarily gave up his 135 pound title and uh, see you in two years TJ one other thing I do want to touch on is even though there were no MMA fights this past Saturday 
there was Bare Knuckle FC, where two former UFC fighters, Conor McGregor's boy, Artem Lobov, fought former UFC fighter Jason Knight. Now, Jason Knight is always a game fighter. He's tough as they come, tough as nails. And, boy, Artem and Jason Knight threw down. The fight went to a decision. Artem Lobov got the win, but it was it was a war. That was probably one of the most brutal fights I've ever watched. I think it was at the end of the first round, Jason Knight was spitting out teeth. Uh, Herb Dean was roughing the fight, and he looked down like, are you seriously spitting your teeth out right now? It was it was brutal. Their faces were cut up, swollen. It was a hell of a fight. It was an amazing fight to watch, too. These guys just stood in the pocket at times and just threw hands at each other. And if 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 you enjoy watching the fights for violence, that was that was your fight. Um, I hope I hope those two got paid well, because they're not gonna have long careers fighting like that. But I think they just won over a new fan. I'll definitely be checking out more bare knuckle FC events, and if there's a good fight coming up, I'll be touching on it on this podcast. So let's dive into the UFC 236 fight card. We're going to go from the early prelims into the prelims to the main card. And uh, some fights I have more notes than others. Some fights are more significant than others. Some matchups are better than others. So I'm going to try to give each fight its its due time. But we're also going to be talking about some value on this card if you're if you're the type that likes to throw some money at the fights there's definitely one fight on here where the value the value on the fighter is absolutely out of control so let's dive in and we're going to start with brandon davis versus randy costa this is randy costa's ufc debut prior to that he had he is four and oh in his professional career and I'm looking up where, what promotion he was fighting under, uh, Cage Titans, and all of his, all four of his Cage Titan fights, all four of his victories, came by way of finish, in the first round. Uh, he, his first fight, he knocked out his opponent in under a minute. Uh, his second fight. 11 seconds the fight lasted. He won the fight by a head kick. His third fight, he won by body shots and punches in his fourth win. So with four finishes, Dana White must have liked what he was seeing. And uh, and they're getting this guy into the UFC. There wasn't a lot of tape on him. So it's going to be interesting to see how someone that was knocking out everybody in Cage Titans does in his UFC debut. Now his opponent, Brandon Davis, 9-6-0, and oh, he's, he's a striker. Came up from Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series, and uh, he's got good technical striking. He is on a two-fight losing streak, but he fought some legit 145-pounders in the UFC. His level of opponent compared to Randy Costa's is much higher. 
in Brandon Davis's last fight, he fought Zabit Magomed Sharipov, who many are touting has the potential to maybe one day be the 145-pound champion. Davis went to the second, brought the fight into the second round, ended up losing by submission by knee bar. Prior to that, uh, he lost a decision to Enrique Barzola. So compared to his last two opponents, this is going to be a little bit of a step down in difficulty of opponent. Now, Randy Costa obviously has shown that he has knockout power. So Brandon Davis is going to have to respect that. But if Brandon Davis can fight a smart fight, this should be Brandon Davis's fight to win. Uh, looking at the odds right now, we have Brandon Davis at minus 170 and Randy Costa at plus 150. Now, my view on the line, we don't know much about Randy Costa or how he's going to handle UFC-level competition. So, But with his four previous fights, all finishes by strikes, Brandon Davis isn't much of a threat to bring the fight to the ground. So Randy Costa has he has the potential to be a live dog here. My advice, stay away from it. These fighters are too new. We don't know enough about them. Just uh, it should be a great way to start out the night and a great way to start the card. Up next, we have Lauren Mueller versus Pollyanna Botelho. Botelho. Uh, Pollyanna has been a, she's a Brazilian fighter. She's been touted as a great female prospect, um, 30 years old. Uh, she just started MMA in the past five years, previously having zero experience in anything combat related. She's the taller, rangier fighter with very dangerous kicks and long punches. She finished one of her fights by liver shot. She kicked her opponent in the in in the liver and totally shut her down. It was very impressive. Uh, Potello also sports a great takedown defense and very high striking accuracy. She's two and one in the UFC with her loss coming to Cynthia Calvillo via submission in the first round. And if you know anything about Cynthia Calvillo, she's she's a savage in the cage. That was probably a lot for Pollyanna to deal with this early in her career but uh she's going to be going up against lauren mueller who isn't a world beater herself but lauren is a pressure fighter that looks to clinch against the cage and wear her opponents down her one loss in the ufc comes against yanan Wu, where arguably mueller was winning that fight and scored a takedown against Wu. mueller followed up and went into the guard and her opponent ended up catching her in a submission in an arm bar. So Mueller may be susceptible to submissions, but I don't think Pollyanna's a submission threat. She's relatively new to combat sports. I think I don't think she even has a blue belt yet in jiu-jitsu. So uh, Pollyanna 7-2-0 versus Lauren Mueller 5-1-0. Um, looking at the lines... Pollyanna is the favorite at minus 175, Lauren Mueller at plus 155. If you are going to bet on this fight, I would go with Lauren Mueller. Um, I would expect Mueller to hold Pollyanna up against the cage and start just grinding the fight out. Uh, Lauren Mueller by decision would be would be a smart bet. 
Uh, fight goes to decision is minus 165. And Mueller wins by decision is plus 210. So that might not be a, a bad a bad uh, pick right there. Mueller by decision. Uh, but interesting fight. It'll be good to see how Pollyanna deals with adversity, deals with a grappler. And if she's the highly touted prospect that everybody seems to think she is. Uh, up next, we have Montel Jackson versus Andre Sukumtath. Montel Jackson, 7-1-0 versus Andre Sukumtath, 13-6-0. Uh, Montel Jackson is the biggest favorite on the card right now at minus 500. And I think a lot of it has to do with people questioning Andre Sukumtath's fight IQ. He, in his fight back in March of 2018 against Sean O'Malley, he was getting tuned up by Sean. Sean was out striking him, but eventually Sean broke his foot or broke his leg. He severely injured it, couldn't put any pressure on it, couldn't walk on it. And it was the last couple minutes of the final, of the third round, the final round. And Andre Sukumtath went for a takedown and brought Sean O'Malley to the ground. Now, if he stood back and saw that Sean O'Malley couldn't walk, the referee would have been forced to stop the fight, and Andre would have won by default. Somehow he didn't see that. Everyone questions his fight IQ. I think that kind of pissed him off because when he came back this past October against Jonathan Martinez, he put on a very dominant first-round performance and ended up winning the fight by decision. Uh, this fight could be as one-sided as the odds would suggest, but I'm hoping Sukumtath can utilize the skill sh- skill set and turn this fight into what I think has potential to be one of the better fights of the night. Um, Sukumtath's a very good kickboxer with an aggressive style and very good power for the division. He knocked down Jonathan Martinez multiple times. And you don't usually see power like that except at the higher levels of the 135-pound division. Uh, Montel Jackson, on the other hand, um, he's a ve- very well-rounded mixed martial artist, and the, the announcers love to mention every time he fights that his hands are bigger than heavyweight Francis Ngannou's. He brings a large 5-foot-10-inch frame to the Bantamweight division and has six of his seven professionals win- professional wins coming by finish, with one of them by submission and the rest by strikes. He has a wrestling background, but seems to prefer to use his range and keep the fight standing and, you know, using those giant hands, landing them on his opponent. This fight, how this fight goes is going to depend on how game Sukumtath comes into the fight. His first round against Jonathan Martinez, I'm referencing it again, he definitely made a statement showing off his power and striking ability after a less than desirable performance against Sean O'Malley. Sukumtath did struggle against Martinez uh, against Martinez's late round takedowns but I don't see that being an issue against Jackson. Jackson hasn't gone for many takedowns in his UFC in his three UFC fights so far but he's still new to the promotion so it's possible Jackson could go back to his wrestling background if Sukumtath starts getting the better of Jackson on the feet. But if Sukumtath can bring the fire all three rounds, he'll be well worth the, what is he, plus 400 right now? Yeah, he's plus 400 value. 
But on the other hand, if Montel Jackson is the more well, he is the more well-rounded fighter, and he should be able to control where the fight goes and have an advantage both on the feet and if he decides to bring the fight to the ground. It's going to be an interesting fight. It should be a great fight. But unless you believe Sukumtath can bring, he can bring it for three strong rounds or until he knocks Jackson out, the odds here are kind of untouchable. Again, Montel Jackson minus 500, Andre Sukumtath plus 400. If you like Sukumtath that much, there might be you could throw a little money at that and get a little return. But my pick here is going to be Montel Jackson. I love this next fight. This fight up next, Bilal Muhammad, 14-3-0 against Curtis Melender, 17-4-0. I love watching both these guys fight, and I'm very excited for the fourth fight of the night to go down. Curtis Melender is a long-ranging kickboxer, and at 6'3", he's extremely tall for the 170-pound division. Melinda likes to fight from the outside with technical strikes, long kicks. He's 3-1 in the UFC. His last result, last fight, uh, it resulted in a submission loss against Elizu Zaleski Dos Santos. His opponents before Zaleski Dos Santos were mainly strikers, which he brought. He was able to bring these fights to a decision after a KO win over Diego Alves in his debut. Melender doesn't seem to have crazy power, but he is a high-output fighter, high-output striker uh, with very good accuracy. Bilal Muhammad is kind of the opposite of Curtis Melender. Bilal Muhammad does a little more wrestling than Curtis Melender does, and that seems to be Melender's weakness. But Muhammad is a very well-experienced UFC athlete, 5-3 and three in the promotion. And prior to his last fight, a decision lost to Jeff Neal, he was on a four-fight win streak and seemed to be becoming a legitimate contender in the welterweight division. Uh, Bilal has a strong wrestling background, and what's interesting about him is that because of, of his 72-inch reach, in every single fight in, in his UFC career, he's always been at a reach disadvantage. So we know Curtis Melender, he's got a 78-inch reach. Muhammad's got a 72-inch reach. But that shouldn't be a big issue because Muhammad has fought at this disadvantage before and should be relatively comfortable trying to overcome it. And again, we saw Curtis Melender struggle on the ground against Elijah Zaleski Dos Santos losing in the first round by submission. That's where Bilal Muhammad's going to have to bring this fight if he wants to win. Um, I expect Bilal to be able to take Melender down and grind out a decision victory. Uh, Vegas didn't open the odds correctly, but the market seems to have brought the odds exactly to where I think they should be, which means this should be an interesting fight and a difficult fight to find a real edge for either fighter. Curtis Melender is going to have the advantage on the feet, obviously, and Bala Muhammad's going to have the advantage on the ground. So in order to make the most educated pick you can, you're going to have to guess where the fight goes. Traditionally, fights like this favor the grappler. 
So I'm going to be leaning towards Bala Muhammad by decision. Now, when it comes to the odds, Bala Muhammad right now is minus 135. Curtis Melender is plus 115. Bilal opened at plus 138 as the underdog. Immediately, the, that line that line got slammed, and it's been steady around 140, minus 140, minus 139, where it is right now. Curtis Melender opened at minus 172 as the favorite and has gone back up to the underdog at plus 115. I, because of Muhammad's wrestling background, he should be the favorite. This he should be able to bring Melender down. This should be his fight to win. At minus one thirty-five, I'm relatively comfortable taking that line, uh, but this should be a great fight, capping off the early prelims. Now I'm only briefly going to touch on this next fight in the bantamweight division: Boston Salmon. 6-1-0 against Khalid Taha. Boston Salmon is still new to the UFC and unproven. Winning his Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series fight and having two fights canceled since then. He hasn't fought since July 2017. So we don't know how much he's improved and we don't know where he's at. Khalid Taha lost his UFC debut to Nader Amini but his multiple KO and submission wins on his record. There weren't enough numbers or tape for me to make a confident pick, but the research shows that this should be a dog or pass. The lines right now have Boston Sam in minus 125 against Khalid Taha, the, who's the underdog, at plus 105. I don't know enough about these fighters, and it was hard to do research on it. So if you like money, avoid this fight. Don't bet on it. Um, but it's going to be a dog or pass situation if you do. Up next, the second fight on the UFC pre- 236 prelim card, which I think is going to be on ESPN. Uh, we have Max Griffin at 14-6-0 taking on Zalim Imadev. Uh, this fight's taking place at 170 pounds. Uh, Max Griffin is 2-4 and four in the UFC with one KO win, one KO loss, and four fights going to decision. In my opinion, he's completely unpredictable and unreliable when you look at how Vegas has placed his odds. Uh, Max isn't particu- particularly great in any one facet, but yet I don't have enough data or video on his opponent. I'm I'm a dev, but in this case, I'm going to have to go with the Russian Russian wrestler for a KO, TKO, ground and pound win because traditionally that's that's how these fights end up. Um, Max Griffin only has a 60% takedown defense, which I don't think is going to be good enough against a Russian wrestler. I mean, we've seen guys come in from Russia and they can take anybody down. Khabib, I mean, just look at Khabib. If this guy is a quarter of as good as Khabib is, then he's going to have no problem taking Max Griffin down. Uh, the lines right now have Max Griffin at minus 105 versus Zalim Imadev at minus 115. Uh, it you got to take Imadev here. 
at minus 115 if you're going to bet on the fight. Personally, I'm going to be staying away from this fight uh, because there's one or two fights further up the card that I really like the value at. But for a pick, I'm going to have to go with I'm a dev um, ground and pound TKO. Fight number seven on the card. We're halfway through. Uh, is going to be taking place at flyweight, men's flyweight, 125 pounds. Wilson Rice, versus, who's 23-9-0, versus Alexander Pantoja, 23-0. Now, Wilson Rice is a BJJ black belt and 7-5 in the UFC, dating back to his debut in September of 2013 at UFC 165. As of April 2017, he's hit a bit of a skid after losing his losing a title bout to Demetrius Johnson, followed by two more losses to Henry Cejudo and John Moraga. Albeit those all three of those fighters are at the top of the flyweight division. Rice was able to bounce back this past December with a decision win against Ben Ngayan to put him back in the win column. Rice looks he, he looks to use his striking to get inside and he looks for takedowns to get the fight on the mat. Uh, he's only been able to submit two of his UFC opponents, but he does well maintaining dominant positions and control on top when the fight's on the mat. His opponent, Alexander Pantoja, he's going to be looking to be the next flyweight title contender with a win over Rice. Pantoja is very well-rounded and one of the best back-takers in the division. Pantoja will have a three-inch reach advantage over Rice, but if and when Rice does get inside, Pantoja has complete confidence. He will be able to hold his own on the ground, and frankly, so do I. Pantoja is a very, very quick and good scrambler, and again, he's very good at taking the back. But if he's forced to grapple for a prolonged period of time, he does tend to fade, as he did against Dustin Ortiz, which ended up being Pantoja's only blemish in his UFC career. Uh, For this fight, I'm taking Pantoja here by submission, probably by rear naked choke, as he's done before. But the danger in taking Pantoja here at minus 170 straight up is that if Pantoja gets too comfortable looking for submissions off his back and Rice wins the control aspect of the game, you're going to get Rice by decision, maybe even by submission. I don't see Pantoja avoiding the ground at all. He tends to pull guard, and he's never avoided the ground in any of his previous fights. His 60% takedown defense isn't because he can't stop the takedowns. It's because he starts looking for the submission when someone shoots in on him. He'll he'll pull guard, he'll scramble to get back on top, and, and he'll do this instead of trying to stay on the feet. Pantoja is the better fighter here, but this isn't a fight I can feel confident putting any money on. Um, again, Pantoja, he actually went down to minus 150, and Rice is plus 130. Uh, fight doesn't go to decision might be a good line to take here if you're into props, but this this should be a a good grappling match, very entertaining, and maybe someone will go to sleep. Now, the next fight, this is, in my opinion, the fight I'm I'm most excited about. Fight number eight taking place 
in the already crowded and stacked lightweight division at 155. You got Jalen Turner, who's 8-4-0 against Matt Frivola, who's 6-1-1. Now this is going to be a great fight to cap off the ESPN prelims, and it should be a show. Jalen Turner is a monster for the lightweight division at six foot three with a 77-inch reach advantage. He's 2-1 in the UFC, including his Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series win. And his one loss comes in his debut at welterweight. It wasn't even at lightweight. He fought at 170 against Vicente Luke, where he was pretty brutally knocked out. His second fight was this past February at lightweight, where he bounced back and starched Kalen Potter, who, in all fairness, accepted the fight on short notice. But he starts Kalen Potter in less than a minute. Turner fights best at range, and he's very good foot movement. His weakest aspect in his game seems to be his ground game and his takedown defense. If he is taken down, he has a, seems to have a very hard time getting back to the feet. Matt Frivola is another Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series alumni who's 1-1-1 in his UFC career. That's one win, one loss, and one draw. Favola came out too fast for his own good in his UFC debut against Polo Reyes and was knocked out in just 60 seconds. He was clipped very early in the fight. He wasn't able to get the fight to the mat and ended up scrambling and getting knocked out. He couldn't recover fast enough. Favola bounced back after that fight uh, with a fight of the year candidate against Lando Venata, showing that he does really belong in the UFC. And he's, he's smart and tough and a well-rounded fighter. He does have multiple submission wins prior to the UFC to his name, along as, uh, as most of his wins have come by submission. Favola's best shot to win this fight is getting Turner to the ground. But in order to do that, he's going to have to overcome a 6-inch reach disadvantage, and he's got to get inside of Jalen Turner's striking. Turner isn't going to have he's he's going to have to stay on his bicycle moving around the cage and counter for Volus pressure trying to avoid the takedown. If he does get taken down, he's going to need to get right back up, which he's struggled with in the past, and he's going to start having to break Favola apart and look for a knockout. One thing to note on Turner, two of his two fights that go into the third round, he's lost. One by split decision and one by knockout. I wasn't able to find it on tape, but if Frivola can grind Turner out and bring the fight into the second half, past the two-minute 30 mark of the second round, the fight's going to start favoring Frivola there. But I don't see Frivola getting to where he needs to be to get the fight to the mat and overcoming the six-inch reach disadvantage and not only does he got to get the fight to the mat he's got to get into a dominant position over the much bigger opponent i can only go on what fighters have shown when they step in the cage not necessarily their skill set and frivola has a tendency to throw whatever game plan he's he had coming into the fight out the window and he starts brawling and relying on his fight iq turner should be able to stay on the outside frustrate frivola by avoiding his strikes and takedowns, using his length and advantage to catch Favola 
and eventually knock him out. I do like Turner. Right now he's at minus 125. I really like Turner at minus 125 there. And I think that's the perfect spot for this fight. My money's going to be on Jalen Turner. Matt Favola just hasn't shown enough takedown ability in the UFC. Uh, He only has a 40% takedown accuracy percentage. And having to overcome a 6-inch reach disadvantage over a larger opponent, minus 125 on Jalen Turner in this fight is just too good of a line to pass up. Now, kicking off the UFC 236 pay-per-view card, we have OSP, Ovens St. Pru, 23-12-0, against Nikita Krylov, 25-6-0. Now, Nikita Krylov had a previous stint when he was in his early 20s in the UFC. Uh, didn't do too badly. He had a couple submission wins and a KO win over Ed Herman but then was subbed by Misha Serkinov back in December of 2016 in the first round. He went on a more smaller promotion tour, got some wins under his belt, some more experience, and came back this past September, ended up losing by submission in the second round to Jan Blakovic. This is a hell of a fight to kick off the main card here. OSP is an extremely exciting fighter who many people have compared to John Jones with his 80-inch reach and unique striking style. Uh, he also may have earned the renaming of the Von Fluchoke in his honor with something like three submission victories by way of that difficult choke. Uh, OSP prefers to keep the fight standing, fighting at range against an opponent and he does best when he's not fighting someone that pressures him. With more than 75% of his wins coming by KO or TKO or submission, if OSP gets his style of fight, he can be extremely difficult to figure out and beat. Nikita Krylov is a young fighter from the Ukraine who's had a, he had a previous three-year stint in the UFC, as I've already mentioned. Um, but... Just in short, he's an exciting striker, very high output, uh, but he's also very comfortable on the ground. Uh, He has been overwhelmed by opponents with significant size and strength advantages over him, which OSP definitely has that advantage. But his striking output, he should be able to, if OSP doesn't start with a bang, if he starts flat like he sometimes does, uh, Krylov has a good shot here. Nikita Krylov likes to be the first person at the center of the octagon and he starts forcing his pace on his opponent right off the first bell. OSP is going to have to look to land his powerful counters and keep his back off the cage. We're going to have to wait and see what OSP shows up to fight. A lot of nights he's a world beater and he looks like he could contend for the title while some other nights he seems like he's he's just going through the motions and waiting for the final bell. I don't expect Krylov to let OSP off the hook here at all. And to keep pressure coming forward. As long as the fight stays on the feet. But there's too many questions as to how and where this fight will take place. Be it on the mat or standing. Vegas had this at a minus 110 pick'em. And it seems pretty accurate. 
it's extremely difficult to make a sharp bet on this fight or a sharp pick. But if you're looking to bet this fight, I'm going to suggest Nikita Krylov. OSP traditionally, as I said again before, he doesn't do well when fighters pressure him unless he unless he can land the perfect counter and knock his opponent out. Um, the striking stats favor Krylov with twice as many significant strikes landed over 15 minutes than OSP, a higher strike accuracy, and he's the busier fighter. OSP has the takedown advantage, but Krylov has twice as many submission attempts per 15 minutes as compared to OSP. So if OSP is going to be looking to take this fight to the ground, Nikita Krylov's a real submission threat. I don't expect either fighter to shoot a takedown, but both fighters are relatively similarly matched. Krylov, he's going to be my pick here, but uh, be sure to buckle in for what should be a fantastic fight at 205. Fight number 10 of the night. Only a few more left here. Fight number 10 of the night is... Alan Juban, 16-6-0 versus Dwight Grant, who's 9-2-0. This fight's taking place at welterweight, 170 pounds. And uh, I'm not going to lie. I am not an Alan Juban fan. And I'm not going to put myself watching through watching film on him. He's, he's a middle-of-the-pack fighter. He's 36 years old. And he's on the downswing of his career. Juban, he's had some moderate success in the UFC recently. But when he faces talent, higher-level talent like Gunnar Nelson, Nico Price, they're able to implement their game plans on Joban, who seems perfectly content running around the octagon and counterpunching. It's one of the least exciting styles to watch, and he does the same thing every fight. Dwight Grant caught Dana White's eye in the 2018 edition of Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series, when he knocked out his opponent in the second round pretty brutally. His debut didn't go as well, as he lost a split decision to Zach Otto before he bounced back and won a first-round knockout over Carlo Petersoli Jr. this past February. Both of these fighters are counterpunchers, with Alan Joban having more high-level experience, higher-level experience opponent uh, than, than Grant had. Stats say that Joban is the busier fighter over 15 minutes, and which doesn't install much confidence in me that this is going to be a very exciting fight. This fight should stay on its feet, but I'm not that excited. I don't understand why this is on the main card. Um, Joban should he's going to go into the fight respecting Grant's power. He's not a, he's not a dumb fighter. And I can also see Grant waiting for Joban to make the first move and skirting around the cage. Um, this is this is going to be Joban by decision just because of his previous experience. I'm not happy about this fight, but let's move on. As unexcited as I was about the previous fight, this next fight, fight number 11 on the card, Eric Anders versus Khalil Roundtree. For however long this fight goes for, this this is going to be exciting. Eric Anders is 11-3-0. Khalil Roundtree is 7-3-0. This fight's taking place in the light heavyweight division at 205. Eric Anders is a former Alabama linebacker and is one hell of an athlete. 
and but he's he's struggled to find much success in the UFC. Anders is on a two-fight losing skid with losses against some of the better fighters in the light heavyweight division, such as the Tiago Santos and Lyoto Machida. Anders did take the Santos fight on short notice and was able to last until the third round in all fairness. Anders does a lot of back-and-forth movement, but he doesn't take angles on his opponent often. I don't want to call it plotting, but he moves in a very linear fashion towards his opponent, away from his opponent, and not angling off to the side. He has power in both hands and a very solid takedown ability. He isn't going to be contending for the title at 205, but his natural athletic ability and toughness should benefit him in this fight, specifically this fight. Now, Khalil Roundtree Jr. can be a very exciting fighter to watch. If he gets an opponent, he can knock out in the first few minutes of the first round. Anything after that, Khalil's going to tire out and stop moving. Very much like Derek Lewis. You know, he's got to get that knockout early or else he's going to tire. But that power stays there. That power is a threat through all 15 minutes, all three rounds. But when Khalil tires out, he becomes very vulnerable to eating strikes and extremely vulnerable to be taken down. And Khalil struggles on the ground. Andrew Sanchez was able to out-wrestle Khalil in the Ultimate Fighter 23 finale. And Tyson Pedro submitted him via rear naked choke at the at the end of the first round. But where Khalil struggles on the ground, what makes him extremely exciting to watch is his power. The dude carries so much muscle on him. All it will take is one all it takes is one shot to put his opponent down. But all this muscle is it comes at the cost of his cardio. Recently, he spent some time at Tiger Muay Thai in Thailand working on his striking. And who knows how much this has benefited Khalil. But if he has improved his cardio significantly and or become more accurate with his strikes at least, he can look like a different fighter. Khalil could 100% land a punch to hurt Anders early. And this is a completely different fight than how I initially see it. But what does give me pause about keep about picking Khalil over Anders is the Eric Anders versus Santos fight that Anders took on short notice. Santos is a more well-rounded fighter than Khalil, but he's also similarly known for his punching power. Anders took some damage but was able to take Santos down multiple times. I don't think Khalil will be able to get up from under Anders like Santos did. But maybe once or twice, he may be able to use his power to get back up. But that will tire Khalil out very quickly. Uh, look for Anders to get inside on this fight. Get Khalil against the cage and look to take Khalil down to the ground. Um, a smart game plan by Anders would be respect Khalil's power. Get the fight to the ground and look for ground and pound. Maybe even a sneaky submission. This fight favors Anders because of Khalil's cardio issues and lack of ground game, but he he's going to have to respect Khalil's power. Um, and Eric Anders is the pick. Uh, the odds have Eric Anders as a pretty heavy favorite at minus 200 right now and Khalil Roundtree at plus 170. I think that's pretty accurate. I wouldn't take Anders at minus 200. That's, that's just too much. Um, 
especially when you have the threat of the power, the punching power and kicking power that Khalil that Khalil brings into the fight. It should be a banger of a fight, very exciting, and I'm looking forward to this one. Up next is the co-main event. Uh, Kelvin Gastelum, 16-3-0, will be fighting the very exciting Israel Adesanya, who's undefeated at 16-0. This fight's going to be for the middleweight, 185-pound interim championship. As I said earlier in in the podcast, Robert Whitaker was forced to pull out of his last fight against Kelvin Gastelum. I think it was the day of the fight with an abdominal hernia. He had that surgically repaired, but... The division has to move on, and luckily Calvin Gastelum accepted this fight against Israel Adesanya. Despite the fact it's for an interim title, this should be extremely exciting. Calvin uh, Gastelum, he he has been knocking everybody out. He's knocked out Tim Kennedy, Vitor Belfort, Michael Bisping. Uh, he lost by submission in the third round to Chris Weidman, but that was because Chris Weidman's the wrestler, and he's much bigger than Calvin Gastelum. Calvin Gastelum is fighting in this division because it seemed he was lacking discipline and couldn't make welterweight on a consistent basis. He started fighting at 185, had some success. He's been knocking people out, and he's able to handle the strikes that are coming his way. Israel Adesanya has come into the UFC What's he had? Six, six fights in almost in about a year, fourteen months, I think it is. And he knocked out Rob Wilkinson. He beat Marvin Vittori by decision. Beat Brad Tavares by decision. He put on a show against Derek Brunson, who everyone was thinking Brunson's going to take Adesanya down and expose. Adesanya's lack of a ground game. Nope. Adesanya put on a show and knocked Brunson out in the first round. And then, it, it, it is, this was a fantastic fight. It wasn't a banger or extremely exciting. I mean, Anderson Silva's long past his prime. But Adesanya's fight against Anderson Silva was so much fun to watch. Uh, the fight went to decision, but... It showed his striking ability, it, his head movement, the weird angles he can take to, to throw and land strikes against his opponent. And going up here against Kelvin Gastelum and his striking, his punching power, it should, it's going to be very interesting. Uh, Kelvin Gastelum has a 71.5-inch reach, while Adesanya, he has an 80-inch reach. Adesanya is also 6'4 compared to Gasolum, 5'9. Gasolum is just unfortunately undersized for middleweight. And I think that's going to give Adesanya the advantage he needs to, to win this fight and get the interim title and wait for Robert Whitaker to come back, which Adesanya versus Whitaker is going to be another insane fight. When it comes to the odds, Vegas has Israel Adesanya as the minus 175 favor right now, coming back to Calvin Gastelum at plus 155. I absolutely love Israel Adesanya at minus 175 here. 
I have no problem with that with that price. I'm I'm probably gonna hit that line, and then I'm gonna grab my popcorn and get ready for a goddamn banger. And finally, in the main event, we have Max Blessed Holloway, who's 23 and 0, moving up a weight class from 145 to 155 to face Dustin Poirier, who's 24 5 and 0, for the interim lightweight championship. Now, Khabib is the champion at lightweight, but since he jumped over the cage to beat the shit out of Dylan Dennis, we're going to have to wait for him to serve out his suspension. And in the meantime, you know, this isn't a... For an interim fight, this is a great matchup. Max Holloway and Dustin Poirier. Uh, Max, Max is on an insane winning streak. He's beat Jose Aldo twice. He put on a striking clinic against Brian Ortega, and at the time, Brian Ortega had been choking out everybody. He'd been he he was on a tear, and Max Holloway stayed on the outside and just pieced Ortega up. Didn't give Ortega a chance to bring the fight to the ground. Uh, Holloway has wins over Max Pettis, Ricardo Lamas. It just he's totally torn up the featherweight division. There's nothing left down there for him, so it only makes sense that he moves up, and. I think it would have been a much more difficult fight for him against Khabib. But, you know, it's kind of fortunate that Khabib is suspended because now we get Dustin Poirier, who's an insanely powerful boxer at 155, knocking out Eddie Alvarez, Justin Gaethje, Anthony Pettis, Jim Miller. He won by decision against Jim Miller. But Jim Miller's a wrestler, so... He showed that his 70% takedown defense, it's it's legit. He did lose in September 2016 to Michael Johnson by knockout. But since then, he's been on a four-fight win streak, knocking out three of his previous opponents. And he's been in wars. The Justin Gaethje fight, that was a war. Anthony Pettis, that was that was an insane fight to watch. And putting on that show against Eddie Alvarez this past July, Dustin Poirier is the real deal. Absolutely deserves this title contention spot here. And we're in for a treat with this main event. The odds have Max Holloway at minus 210, coming back to Dustin Poirier at plus 175. Um, Max Holloway was great at... 145 maybe one of the greatest of all time but he seemed to start having issues with his weight cuts down to 145 so now that he's going to be fighting at 155 he's going to be less depleted he's and he should he should as a result look that much better Dustin Poirier is always going to be a knockout threat but Max Holloway has he he's shown that you know he can take a punch and he knows how to stay on the outside and avoid damage and dish out the damage, more importantly. Um, I'm taking Max Holloway here. Minus 210, it's a little too steep, but this is going to be a fantastic fight, well worth the pay-per-view cost. So that's uh, that's a rough breakdown of all 13 fights coming up this Saturday. Um, you can check out our content at for with more picks, more entertaining content at MMAFightClub.com. I've already given out what lines I like best. 
Um, Jalen Turner at minus 125. I, I love that line. The only thing that's giving me pause about it is what if Matt Favola can get inside that six-inch reach disadvantage he's going to be going up against. And he is able to grind Jalen Turner out against the cage or even bring the fight down to the ground. I don't see that happening. Matt Favola is very hittable. Um, this is definitely Jalen Turner's fight to lose. He should win this and minus 125 is a great value. Uh, I also like uh, Israel Adesanya at minus 175. That, unless he gets caught by Calvin, which is a complete possibility, it's the fight game. It happens all the time. Um, but unless he gets caught, Israel Adesanya should be able to win this by decision, if not by knockout. This is gonna from top to bottom. This is gonna be a great card, except for the Alan Joban fight. You can, you know, go get a beer or something during that one. But enjoy the fight Saturday. Once again, visit MMAFightClub.com for more of my content, and you can find me on Twitter at Wild Rover Fight Picks. Uh, hit me up. I'd love to talk about fights all the time, all day, every day, and. Uh, Enjoy the fights, guys.